welcome to Ringer FC. My name is Chris Ryan. I am an editor for TheRinger.com. I am back from my tactical training in Portugal, <laughs> where I learned the ways of the counterattack from the greats. Uh, no, I'm, I'm back from Europe, where I was. I'm here with Ryan O'Hanlon. We uh, needed a couple private training sessions. Yeah, is that right? You guys were practicing in private? <laughs> yeah. Micah Peters? What's going on? Um, I'm... I think that 1860 Munich has harder training sessions than uh, Bayern. Like, yeah. I feel like my, co- my, my kid is getting more workout and more touches than I am. I don't... What's up, uh, Donnie Kwok in New York City on the other line? What up, Chris? When you were in Portugal, you missed our little homage to Charisma. Uh, oh, yeah? yeah? Did you guys yeah. talk a little bit about him? Then we he, talked uh, about his teardrop tattoo. We talked about... Did we talk about the feather? The outside haircut? of his foot. Yeah, no the outside feather. of his foot. And then he went out and... Uh, Assisted against. Leipzig. Sorry, guys. I was in Europe, so I wasn't really listening to the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we are here to talk about the world of football. Uh, we'll do a little bit of news. We'll do some massive overreactions, some zonal question marks, and then we'll talk a little bit about everything that's happening in Barcelona right now, which is uh, obviously larger than football in terms of Catalonian independence. I just saw that um, the the mayor was it the mayor president of Catalan has de- declared that they're going to declare independence. In the next few days, which what that could mean for Barcelona going forward, we'll we'll get to that in a bit. Uh, let's start out with some news, though. Ryan, um, one of the joys. Oh, can I can I get like thirty seconds here? Just, <laughs> yeah, just two just big go things. For it. Go for it. One is ISO. that uh, the funny, the craziest thing I went and saw QPR Fulham. The wildest thing about watching that is seeing just how close guys are to being great. Who are like really good, and the, just the little things that differentiate them from <laughs> being in the Premier League is just like final third decision making. Guys mm-hmm. who take like one extra pass, or just being a step slower than like whatever Fernando Torres, yeah. you know, two steps slower or whatever. In Ryan Sessegnon's case, no, uh, <laughs> so it was really cool to see QPR versus Fulham. Fulham fans really gave it to QPR. It was like weirdly like they they like sounded so much louder. Than them, um, and they definitely sang, Is this a library? at the <laughs> Moxus Road fans. Uh, the other thing would just be that, um, in Portugal, I took a quick uh, day trip to the Douro Valley, which is like kind of the wine region. But on the way there, we stopped it in Amarante, which is uh, this very small town, but it is uh, like is in a Los Campesinos song about like how the guy has a nervous breakdown while visiting the stadium there. Is this the Watcher huh. Ringer FC? Well, I'm getting to this. So <laughs> I go to the tour guide. I go, I go to the tour guide, and I was like, "Are we in? Are we in Amarante?" And he's like, "Yeah." And, I'm like, and there's like ancient ruins of like convents there that have been there since like the 1200s and I'm like like Amarante FC and he looks at me for like five seven seconds I'm like maybe you don't understand he's like yeah, who gives a shit? <laughs> and I was like, oh, well, it's a long story. It's in this indie rock band song. And he was just like, yeah, man, that's like, they're not good. There's like a, there's like a stone pitch somewhere. Anyway, much more importantly, uh, what I did Saturday night was it was nighttime and I got to watch football live when I turned on BT and saw like Rio Ferdinand, Frank Lampard, and Stephen Gerrard like do the pregame for Chelsea City, and then the game started at the incredibly civilized time of 5.30 p.m. I didn't even know what to do with myself. I had to leave for dinner. Do you know how that's never happened to me before we were a Premier League game? It's absolutely insane. I um, think that and like seeing Idris Elba do like cable commercials <laughs> is also two of like the weirdest things. Um, no, thank you for allowing me my my, my travel log. But uh, obviously, the City Chelsea game was was a, was a big deal. But uh, the Murata injury is what we're going to be talking about here because he seemed as soon as he left that game, that Chelsea seemed much more ordinary. Chelsea team seemed much more ordinary. Ryan. Yeah, I mean they just. They basically had, what, two chances the entire game, and one of them was the Murata header. He had a couple runs with the ball at his feet where he looked like he might do something in the city defense, and after that, uh, it was one-way traffic. So he's out for how long? It's uh, up for debate, depending on who you talk to. Uh I think the Spanish trainers uh, think it's more severe than the Chelsea trainers. I think it's like four to six weeks. Yeah, let me say as an Arsenal fan, a hamstring 
could be. <laughs> <laughs> you oh. could look at, that could be two months easy. Shout out to Abu Dhabi, <laughs> man. Um, we also had injuries to Romelu Lukaku, which uh, I don't know how much that worries you, Micah, as a Manchester United fan. I mean, like it worries <laughs> me greatly, <laughs> obviously, but also not really that much. He'll be fine. I think. It was like it's gonna be. It's gonna work out. Yeah, you, um, te- you tested out his injury, right? His ankle. You were twisting. Exactly. It I am. Uh, I am a licensed doctor. <laughs> Um, but I mean, like that, and surprisingly, I'm I'm ups- I'm still upset at Shane Long for step for 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 that challenge on Fellaini. Oh yeah, Wait, yeah. <laughs> we'll get to Fellaini later. Wait, so uh, when does Latin come rejoin? Like January, January. Right? Oh, not till January. Yeah, I don't yeah. think he's coming till the new year. Uh, the other big injury in world soccer this week was uh, Bale. Gareth Bale picked up a little bit of a knock. I, the best thing that I watched while I was gone, and I'm sure you guys watched as well, was Real versus Dortmund. Um, just from a tactical standpoint, and also just like watching um, Bale run, you can tell that until he changes his game, and I don't know what that means, like what what he becomes, but it's kind of like watching a racehorse or something. You're just like, yeah, like this is you, you can only be this fast and this strong for so long. And even during Dortmund game, I felt like every time he would get knocked down, I was like, is he gonna get back up? You know, it's yeah. like it, it's there's yeah. a certain element to his physicality that is really, really tenuous. Yeah, well, he's just so big and he moves so fast. And just put those two things together, it seems like something bad is always going to happen. But... He just gallops, man. Yeah. yeah. He's kind of like the D Rose of world football. No? That's a good it's, comparison. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. That is pretty good. Spot on. (laughs) (laughs) The other news that we wanted to, we made a joke about this uh, a little earlier, but uh, Bayern Munich, obviously parting ways with Carlo Ancelotti, now reports suggesting that they uh, he, they allegedly the players ran secret training sessions behind Ancelotti's back. (laughs) My favorite thing about this is that the we don't know if this is true, but it was reported by a German magazine kicker. My favorite thing about it is that they supposedly organize the secret sessions so they could have more intense training sessions than they were having with Ancelotti. So they had secret training sessions that were more difficult than the ones they were getting with their manager, Mm. which is not something I ever would have thought I'd never, I would never do that. If I was like, if I was playing, it'd be like, Hey, we're just going to get together and turn one of these goals around and put it on the 18 and play soccer volleyball. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And it's like Robin and Ribery, two guys who you think would want to just Donnie, I have a question for you. Ancelotti's character has been sort of dragged through the mud over the last couple, like, you know, like the last week or so since he got let go by Byron. But uh, what would you say if I told you that he was going to take over for Arsene Wenger next year? Hmm. I'll take him. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean, like he wins. You know wins. what Carlo Ancelotti is? Pretty good manager. <laughs> Ancelotti or Sean Deitch, Donnie? <laughs> <laughs> 100% Ancelotti. Okay. All right, with that, let's get into some massive overreactions to the Premier League weekend. Uh, the best player in the Premier League is depth. Ryan. Agreed. This is like when the, uh, didn't the Hawks, like their entire team won player of the month one year. And like five of them got into the All-Star game, right? Yeah, when they had that whack-ass team that got yeah. the one seed. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but the the point here is that I think on Saturday, you know, Manchester City lost the guy we've, when you've been gone, the guy we've been praising more than any player in the world, Sergio Aguero, and they lose Benjamin Mendy, who, you know, was already one of the best left backs in the Premier League. And they Micah's st- most valued Twitter follow. My, it's, it's honestly the best. I mean, like, he was live tweeting <laughs> the game. I mean, also... In the hospital bed, like it with his Louis Vuitton dad hat on, like <laughs> throwing up peace signs, being like, I'll be back soon. Yeah, so maybe that actually helped City, but but without those two players, they looked exactly the same. And yeah. like we were saying earlier, Chelsea without Murata looked completely average. Yeah, well, partially because they decided to bring on William mm-hmm. instead of uh, Batshuayi. Bash- Bash- yeah, Batshuayi, yeah. who had just scored a dagger. In Madrid the other night in Champions League and looked pretty good. Yeah. But there was a degree to which I thought, I don't know if I was going to say Conte was kind of overthinking it or was trying to get a little too cute. I don't know if you can get too cute against Pep Guardiola. He had Kyle Walker playing like central defensive midfielder, but also with a license to run 65 yards. (laughs) I don't really know how you defend against City when they throw looks at you like that. I mean, but also, I don't know how you defend against City where there's goals everywhere in the team. I mean, like Mm -hmm. you had, uh, 
Fabian Delft the weekend before scores like the goal of his life against Crystal Palace. And then he's just like, you know what? Instead of playing in midfield, we're going to put you at left back. And he looked good. Yeah, he looked great. He looked very good. I mean, like, and I, yeah, I mean, it's, it comes from everywhere. I, mean, I don't even know. I don't, I, I'm I'm worried about City. If there's general. one guy, that's, you know, and Donnie, I'd be curious to know what you thought here. But if there was a guy you thought City, who's the guy they can't lose? Oh, it's De Bruyne, obviously. I yeah. think you know, like that type of match that happened, uh, the Chelsea City match. It's like you're just waiting for that moment of brilliance, and he's been delivering it now for how many years? So. Like two, right? It's like, is he Steven Gerrard? Uh, yeah, I don't know. He was, he's, he's the, the biggest thing, and we talked about this earlier in the season, is also the fact that Guardiola has taken him from sort of a, an attacking mid who played out wide at times and moved him more centrally and deeper and allowed him to create offense from deeper in the park. And that, and that continues to really... I, it obviously confuses people. There, there was a great. Uh, I saw, I saw some great tactical analysis of these games where it was just like, if you're setting up, especially the way Conte does, where everybody is so, you know, everybody knows what their job is mm-hmm. on, in a Conte mm-hmm. setup, and then you're asking people like, well, okay, but the fullback is playing centrally, and I've got John Stones making runs into into the if the six yard box. Like, what am I supposed to do here? Yeah, well, it's a new. Uh, tactical concept of like half spaces which is between the fullback and the center back if mm-hmm. you like occupy that space it messes up with messes the defense because does the f- center back step to it does the fullback step to yeah. it and basically i think on saturday de bruyne and silva just kept drifting into those like inner right and inner left areas and one it gets you away from bakioko and uh, Conte. Conte, or it yeah. at least pulls them out of the center. Because in the beginning yeah. of the game, Conte was definitely doing Conte stuff. Like yeah. he was going yeah. out and just like he was playing both wings. I mean, yeah, they they pulled the two out of the center, and the midfield was wide open. Like mm-hmm. leading up to the goal, in that <clears throat> I want to say it was like in the 60th minute. Like City was getting most, if not everything, they wanted going down the center of the park. Yeah, and then on the goal, you see. De Bruyne gets the ball sort of in the area where a defensive center mid might be, and you see Fabregas just trailing right behind De Bruyne. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah. they kind of got the matchup they wanted. You know, uh, Donnie, one thing that I, I, I we've just been like a big thing since the summer has been Antonio Conte not being afraid to sort of let his disappointment in Chelsea be known and not doing a ton to dampen rumors that he might take off, whether it's for AC Milan next season or, you know, you could imagine him maybe being... An Arsenal. option for PSG or, or <laughs> yeah, Arsenal. Uh, you know, as soon as Kroenke buys full ownership over Arsenal, he'll finally get. But Conte has been kind of uh, disgruntled, and yet on Saturday you could kind of see his point because why? How is somebody as a team as rich as Chelsea really only got one option at striker against Man City? It's crazy. I mean, they literally have one healthy striker at this point. Uh, and somebody, Michi, I guess that uh, Conte doesn't even trust. I mean, like all of his sort of angling to move or disgruntledness, I think, is just strategic because it's like breaking up with the girl before she breaks up with you because, you know, any Chelsea manager is on the hot seat all the time. That's true. It does kind of put Chelsea... It, it backs them into a corner because usually everybody's just like, well, I love Chelsea. Chelsea has all this money. It's in London. I get to coach the, some of the best players in the world. And then they get fired if they have five bad games in a row. But Conte is kind of like keeping them on their toes about, well, you know, I don't really like it in London and my family hasn't acclimatized here. And it's it's an interesting tactic. It's got to be yeah, tough to see uh, a guy that your club used to own just scoring the winning goal against Yeah, but it's not like he, he personally recruited De Bruyne <laughs> no, and that's was like true. nurturing that's his career. It's like, I, obviously that's Mourinho. I mean, now it's like, oh, that was an incredible like, act of Pulling evil genius by Mourinho. <laughs> but Conte doesn't have a bunch of bums on his team. I think it is, one of the things I thought was strange was that it didn't feel like they had a lot of attacking verve in the midfield, even with Fabregas. Uh, like that, that Bakayoko and Conte playing together didn't seem to provide a lot of creativity coming out of midfield for them. Which, I mean, like, is—they don't, but— Part of that is, is whether or not Hazard is ever going to become a true 10, which is what he wants to be, right? There you go. Um, but, I mean, like, Bakayoko and Conte, the pairing, like, looked amazing against Atletico and then just flat against against City, mainly for the tactical reasons we were talking about before. But, 
yeah, I mean, they don't give you an incredible amount going forward. I think we got to mention also that Conte essentially played the exact same team that he played against mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> Atletico Madrid minus uh, David Luiz. Yeah. So I think that that plays a role too. And I think David Luiz, for all the shit we give him, like he's one of the guys who is best at progressing the ball forward yeah. with the ball yeah. at his feet. Um, I never give David Luiz shit. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on, here's another massive overreaction. Rafa Benitez should be managing Liverpool. You go, you got, you can't like, just don't just smirk at me from across the table. <laughs> I gotta say, I do not buy this. Uh, I know, understand uh, Liverpool fans, there's a certain, they're of my generation generally, like the mm-hmm. guys of my age and older who have very fond memories of Rafa's time, of the, of the Mascherano, Alonso, Gerard, Torres spine, and they, they long for the days. Um, they, those guys really liked not getting beat yeah. and didn't care as much about, Providing entertainment, I guess it's it's definitely more fun to root for a Klopp team, and you know we remember the Javi Alonso, Mascherano, Gerard, Torres uh, era. Then you conveniently forget like Jermaine Pennant and <laughs> Peter Crouch yeah. and Andre Vornin uh, and David uh, David Ngo, Chris's <laughs> favorite player. And I, I I disagree too, but I think there is an actual real portion of the Liverpool fan base now that is grown close to like being done with Klopp and I think the thing that frustrates people this past weekend is like they kind of want the team that Newcastle has right they 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 finish their chances and they don't give up stupid goals right like that those are the two things that people are clamoring for with Liverpool right now but I don't think that it's necessarily that Klopp doesn't know how to coach defense I think he just has bad defenders now whether or not he should have bought different ones or should be promoting different ones out of the academy or from the bench I don't know but he's had bad defenders though his entire coaching career no he no, had no, great no. defenders Ed in Liverpool, Dortmund yeah, yeah. Dortmund has Hummels and Subotich were good yeah, yeah. but I, it's again it's the, we've it's the same I think the idea that it's a systemic issue it's partially systemic but every game that goes by I'm more convinced that like the defense defenders themselves are kind of trash. Yeah, like Dejan Lovren's five pink killers a day also agrees with you. Yeah, yeah, that's not not a great situation. Donnie, if you could have the choice between how, watching a team supporting a team that dispatched teams one nothing but was boring, or uh, gave you like heart tremors but like one three two or three one with giving up a penalty in the last few minutes to Jimmy, like the way that Liverpool or like blows games against lo- like lesser opponents because they it's like don't... George Graham's Arsenal versus Arsene Wenger's. Well, yeah. <laughs> what, what, what would you prefer? Three points, but I, I want to say, speaking of Rafa, like he doesn't. He I don't. You know, obviously he has Champions League trophy, but I, he's kind of underrated. He's not underrated, but I think it's it's worth mentioning how he's able to adapt his style to or create an identity with whatever team he has. I mean, he's coached Madrid, he's coached Chelsea, and he's coaching Newcastle. It's like he's a great manager, honestly. And and you mentioned Ancelotti or Sean Dyche for Arsenal. I would love to see Rafa. Micah, one thing that's sort of interesting about coaches, in especially in England, I think, is that there a lot of these teams have very romantic associations with the idea of the long term project and like a manager overseeing the like the evolution of the club over the course of a decade. Sure. And Ferguson Wenger, uh, and Liverpool certainly it looked like for a while that Rafa was going to be that, mm-hmm. um, but the ownership struggles. But do you think that that's kind of naive on the part of fans to think that like just because you have Klopp and you really like him that he's going to stick around for more than two or three years? When in most leagues and in lots of teams, I mean, even Barcelona changes their manager every three years. I think that there's, I mean, there's difficulty in managing expectations, I mean, across the board. I mean, if you sign X player, you expect the the team's performance to jump so such and such marks mm-hmm. out of 10. And I think that if you see this manager performing well elsewhere, say in Germany, for instance, and then coming to the Premier League, you expect to be able to replicate that success. But... I think that it's a naive thing to think that one coach's style is going to work in a different one. And I think that that's a thing that you can come back down to earth and realize after you get over uh, Jurgen Klopp did this with Gundogan or did yeah. this with whatever. With Sahin or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. 
All right, uh, let's go to another one. Michael, we'll stay with you. Marijuana <laughs> Fellaini is actually good. Okay, so here's the thing. <laughs> let's set this up for people. Set the stakes, set, get, set the table for like where your head was at with Fellaini at the beginning of the season. Okay, so Fellini's been at United for four years and has gotten a lot of stick for being basically Trash. the last remnant <laughs> of da- David, David Moyes is uh, like staying on the club. Yeah. More or less, and he's blunt, bluntly effective, but mm-hmm. blunt, and it's like an ugly style. But when you think about it, say when he came on against Real Madrid in the Super Cup at uh, in preseason, I mean, he legitimately changed the game. Um, when you okay, l- listen to this. All right, against West Ham, he came on when the score was two to zero. The match, the game finished four to zero. Against Swansea, he came on, it was 1-0, finished 4-0. Against Leicester, it was 1-0, he came on, it was 2-0. I mean, like, he's... He's got that plus-minus. He's... (laughs) It's... Honestly, last season, for instance, or the season before that, the, the, the attack, the movement, it all coagulates around Fellini, but... Everybody was playing bad because those teams were bad, mm-hmm. except for last season when they were better than the score suggests, but we don't have to get into that. Do you want to do the XG thing? Yeah. I don't know anything about that. <laughs> well, let me ask you this. Isn't this just what Donnie's saying? Is that three points is three points, and that's what Mourinho's always said, and like when you're winning, he seems a lot more fun than when you're losing? Yes. Yes. I mean... So then, what's what's your what's your hesitation? Is it still like you want sexy football? Yes, I mean, like it's <laughs> that is that is basically the crux of it. Um, he does he's not as talented as other midfielders, like obviously, but I mean, like he's good at, at controlling what, the ball. At with what his... dabbing? <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> no, he's not. He's not an expert dabber. Donnie, you don't have enough hair follicles to tweet me, dog. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out John Joe Shelby. <laughs> Isn't um part of the issue with Fellini that like that David Moyes era sort of began with Fellini as like the marquee signing? The big signing. When yeah. it's like totally, Fellini, totally. Fellini is good as a guy to bring off the bench because he can do all this weird shit. He you play him up top, he's gonna win every ball in the air. He creates at advantages. a time in the game when guys might be getting a little tired of getting elbowed yeah, in the yeah. jaw. He cre- yeah. creates advantages on set pieces in both directions whenever he's on the field and he can play a passable defensive mid if you need him to. So he does that too. So like for a team like Man U to have that weapon, it's great. But for him to be like your star signing that's not great. That's not great. <laughs> it's just practicality, man. I mean, like, it's just, like, I've been watching Mourinho for, for do this for 15 years with, since Porto. Like, just, like, he just knows what it takes to, like, get a victory. And, like, he knows that at the end of the day, it's, like, if you get the three points, nobody's going to be like, oh, but it was, you brought Fellaini on. You know, you didn't, you didn't bring on Jesse Lingard. You know? <laughs> <laughs> no, but um, the, wait, where did you pull this from, Ryan, this quote? It says it's from the Manchester United. It's from the Manchester website. United website. <laughs> MU.tv. It's MU.tv. Fellini has won uh, three major honors in four years, as many as critically revered talents of Kevin De Bruyne, Philip Coutinho, and Alexis Sanchez combined during the same time frame in England. Which <laughs> I think is something that's just extremely convenient, like one of those like things on an ESPN Chiron where it's just yeah. like this person has competed. Ninety-seven percent of his passes on a Wednesday when it's raining, <laughs> but I mean, you know, you kind of—it's difficult to argue with results. Donnie, are you pro Fellini? I'm—I don't even think I—I'm I, kind of like kind of uh, surprised that people turned on Fellini so much. I mean, the thing is, is like he's one of those guys. I mean, he was an absolute legend in Everton and scored a lot of key goals and I think it's just one of those things when you come to United it's just a different type of spotlight and you're scrutinized more I mean I maybe rightfully so because it's such a big club but I mean you see you saw the same thing happen to uh Schneiderlin it's like players that are really good on a certain level and then um they're put in the spotlight and scrutinized more heavily and then all of a sudden they're trash it's not true you know Fellaini's actually a really good player so I mean, so he's David Luiz. Yeah, he does a job. He does it well. He follows instructions. He gets. I mean, like he came on for Pogba, and this after he went down the seventeenth minute against Basel and got a goal and an assist. 
I mean, he has a nose for the ball, for I real. He's always around about the ball. Fellini, I, I can't believe it. <laughs> he has a nose for uh, headbutting opponents. There's two, like, also, <laughs> just like, since I like Liverpool, like, there, if there's one guy I don't give a shit about, it's someone who played for Everton and Manchester United. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Let's take a quick break to hear from our sponsors, and we'll be back with some zonal question marks. If you're watching the games, it's time to start making money. MyBookie is the industry-leading website that can fill all of your betting needs. With their great odds, fast payouts, and decades of expertise, you can bet with confidence. Your team doesn't even have to win. They just need to cover the spread. So what are you waiting for? Lay down some cash and win big today. If you know your team sucks, do yourself a favor and bet against them. If you lose... You'll make money, and if they win, you'll be happy. It's good. You gotta, you gotta hedge yourself, you know what I'm saying? Where you bet is just as important as who you're betting on. That's why I'm urging you to make your way to my bookie. I trust them, but you don't have to take my word for it. Check them out yourself. They have in-game, live betting, and a mobile site that makes wagering on the go easier than ever. You can also check out their online casino if you'd rather just play a few hands of blackjack or roll the dice and craps. Join now, and my bookie will match your deposit with up to a 100% bonus. Use promo code RINGERFC, that's in all caps, to activate offer. Visit mybookie.ag today. You play, you win, you get paid. All right, guys, we are back to ask some zonal question marks about the Premier League. And let's start with Roy Hodgson, who it turns out is not engineering much of a great escape for Crystal Palace. Turns out the problem is the players. And this is actually like a little bit of a theme of what we're talking about here with Liverpool. And like, you know, it's not like Jurgen Klopp just didn't know how to coach defense. It's just that he has bad defenders. Roy Hodgson, he's probably still like a fine coach, but like it's going to take him a while to get Crystal Palace into any kind of organized shape. What's wrong with these guys? It, they, I mean, part of what's wrong with it is that they played Manchester United and Manchester City. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But and Chelsea, got, Chelsea next, and Chelsea, Chelsea next. Yeah. Uh, but and cheek can't even play because he's on one. He's on is not there. It's it's the yeah. team is just bad. Like even Nat, like we talked about it when they fired DeBoer. Like their numbers, like underlying numbers, were actually pretty good. Now they're underlying. Now they're not good. Just absolute garbage. Yeah. Um, but every week, this guy is coming out with like another. Just more sad, depressing quote. Sad, so what are some of your favorites? This week, <laughs> he says, Palace were against Menu, a boxer fighting in a class he's not able to handle. We took blows to the chin and got knocked down, but we didn't stay on the canvas. We tried to get up as best we could. Uh, and That's then accurate. This, not depressing. True. I mean, he kept going further when looking forward to the next game. <laughs> He's just with his face just soured, like curdled milk. It's just like so. <laughs> so there are three quality players I could name off the top of my head who could have helped us do a better job against Chelsea. <laughs> They're not here. Where are they? He's got to run their their bollocks off. <laughs> do they just not have those guys? Or I mean, you, you don't have like you said. Was before, he like we, don't if have... we had Messi and Bale and Suarez? <laughs> would be good. I mean, if they had, if they had uh, Santiago Munez from the goal series, I don't think they'd be able to win against Chelsea. I, actually, Chris, you missed it. I predicted that Palace would nick a point against United. I forgot about that. But you know what? You guys, I know you watched the match. Like after you know, United scored really early in the game, but there was like a twenty-minute period where. Palace was pretty good. They were playing good football. I mean, it was unlucky. The second goal after that, it was over. But you know. I gotta work on those. And they didn't give up. They did get up off the mat, you know. For they just gotta run their bollocks off, man. (laughs) Is it my imagination, or do you think that uh, there there seems to be like a little bit of a separation happening? Not even like well, it's like top six versus the rest of the league, but that the upper echelon of the Premier League is so supremely wealthy with talent that they really are tagging some of these lower teams like pretty bad. I guess yeah. City is sort of throwing off the curve because they keep winning 5 nothing, 6 nothing. City and United are kind of just running teams over. But, yeah. he, I mean, Tottenham's not that far behind them, though. That's true. In terms of just I, smashing teams. I mean, Palace obviously is the biggest example because they literally haven't scored a goal. But when you watch <laughs> a lot of the... Oh my god, is lower... they still haven't scored no, yet. Listen, yeah. listen, no. listen here. No points. And I mean, like, that's the worst <laughs> since Port- Portsmouth in 2009, 2010. They ended up getting relegated. 
but no goals for their first six games is the worst start of any top flight team in the history of English soccer. <laughs> <laughs> Do they own Ben Teke now, or is he still a Liverpool player? They, he's, they, he's hurt. They own him. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> don't ask Johnny what you he thinks. You buy Ben Teke. <laughs> Why? What do you no, think of Ben Teke? Ben Teke? Yeah. Uh, he, I, I, I said, quote, he's fucking terrible. Oh, okay. Last week. <laughs> but what I was going to say is, like, when you watch the, the, like, Palace, obviously, or, you know, the other mid to lower table teams, often when I'm watching the matches, I'm just thinking to myself, like, oh, we talked about De Bruyne against Chelsea. I mean, obviously, he's, like, world class. But it's, like, where are the goals going to come from? It's I When you watch Brighton, when you watch Everton and teams that don't really have a, uh, somebody that's capable of, well, I guess they have players that are capable of, brilliant moments but more often than not you're just thinking they're not going to score they, you know it's like yeah that's, it's like they need set pieces basically yeah yeah, yeah. like no individual player is going to create a moment where he's going to you know it's rare all right guys so um let's ask this final question here so why do you think because we were sort of watching chelsea fall behind a little bit Obviously, Leicester did not <laughs> repeat as champions. Why is it so hard to repeat? Why are we sort of already thinking of this as a two-team race? I mean, maybe, maybe we're not. But why is it so hard to repeat in the Premier League? That's one of the zone question marks I wanted to ask. I think, like, Chelsea, in this case for Chelsea, uh, the 2016-17 season was a pretty easy job for Conte. He only had to be finishing higher than seventh to, like, be moving in the right direction. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, like, no other fronts to fight on. Uh, but this season, Chelsea don't have the, like, as we talked about already, don't have the depth. And if you got to play a game against Atletico Madrid and then go play against City and you only have so many strikers in the stable, I think that that's the difficulty of it. I mean, on top of that, teams just adjust. There's a lot of that you can attribute to time, different signings. The, the, the teams change and the same things don't work. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's an, and, and is this where, like, the, the Premier League's competitiveness in the top six kind of comes into play? Yeah, I think so. I mean, if so the last time someone repeated was United in 07, 08, 08, 09. Mm-hmm. And that's that's basically when the Premier League was crested in its influence in the Champions League, right. I think. Mm-hmm. Right. That's back when there was, like, pretty normal to see a semifinal of English teams. Yeah. yeah. So I, I think the issue is it's the same issue for why the teams haven't done as well in Europe. It's because the, the best team in England is not as far ahead of the be- sixth best team in England as it is in Spain, Italy, Germany, anywhere like that. So you just have you just have a number more difficult games, and then that just introduces and do you think variability. That Burnley into it. is much tougher to play than Las Palmas, or I think Burnley <laughs> has more. They definitely have more financial clout as yeah. far as bringing players in, and I think Burnley in particular plays a really just weird style that makes them hard to play against. You just made me think it would be really dope if there was like a mid-table Champions League. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I, I've actually always <laughs> I mean, that's supposed to be what the Europa League is, I guess. I mean, but I, I actually have a lot of time for the Europa League. But it would be cool if like every once in a while you just got to see like West Ham versus Frankfurt, you know, in like a mid yeah. game. Um, do you think that, Donnie, is that good for the Premier League that every season it's not like how many points will Bayern or PSG win the league by, but it's like this sort of free-for-all? And, and I guess on the other hand, do you do you have a lot of any sympathy for somebody like Conte who's just like, look, like I'm going to do the best I can, but we're playing a very important Champions League match that means a lot for the club getting its foothold back in Europe versus a game early in the season against City where it's even if we lose it, I can make those points up somewhere down the line. Yeah, I mean, it's early days still, I think, and Chelsea could still recover. I mean, it seems like it's not so long ago that we were talking about the Premier Premier League similar to uh, Germany or Spain or being extremely top-heavy. So, I mean, I think it's good overall that it's this competitive and this wide open, and I think part of that has to do with England having maybe not the best talent in the world but the best managers, and and, and it's all kind of like tactical, you know, battles week in and week out. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think it's I think that's a that's a huge part of it and that that just plays they can attract the best managers cuz they can pay more than anyone. Yeah, I mean there's um, talk about Angelotti going to West Ham. I mean there's talk about Rafa going there too. <laughs> yeah, I mean but I mean like to go from PSG, Real Madrid and Bayern and Chelsea to going to manage West Ham and probably getting a pretty d- good like wage packet for it. Yeah, I I do wonder if we're not headed for like Manchester United Manchester City just trading Duopoly. titles for the next eight years would you be happy with that even as a United fan would you do you like do you like the idea that like 
any any number of six teams could really compete for a championship? I mean, I like I like that when I'm watching any two teams in the top six play each other, but not necessarily. And, and like, mind the, you, United hasn't played a top six team yet. By the yeah, way, I yeah, I mean, like that's not until uh, well after the international break. Right. You play Liverpool, but hopefully we're still a top six team. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I mean, nobody wants to see while. I mean, like, if it was just United winning championships, that would be a different thing. Yeah, <laughs> obviously. You had that already. But, yeah. <laughs> it's okay. But, no, I mean, you want the, like, the element of surprise and having the competitiveness top uh, top to bottom. I mean, yeah. you don't want to have a I think it makes it exciting. Where, I think it makes for more and more key matchups. Yeah, there's just, oh, there's just so many more good games on a weekend. Yeah. In, uh, the Premier League compared to every other league. Yeah, and I think that partially the 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 televisual spectacle of of it is what makes it kind of uh, unique among the European leagues, and mm-hmm. the fact that they do play Boxing Day and they do play through the holidays and through the winter. And I know that it it winds up as screwing up their their Champions League status, but I don't know. You're gonna have to make some trade off somewhere. Yeah, and the, yeah. the English teams look pretty good in the Champions League so they far sh- this yeah. season, so Except we'll see about that. Liverpool. Okay, <laughs> uh, there's one more zonal question mark here. Whose concert would you fly to the Netherlands to see on a work night? Want to go? Want to explain this one a little bit? <laughs> yeah. So uh, Sergio Aguero got into a car accident. In I a was taxi. very confused <laughs> about why he was in the Netherlands. Well, they were. Yeah, I I guess this Colombian singer, um, who he's a fan of, Donny, I think can maybe speak a little more to this artist. Um, oh, Maluma. Maluma. Yeah. Maluma is like a Colombian uh, reggaeton, I guess. <laughs> so so Aguero, Aguero flew to the Netherlands to see Maluma. Was Maluma uh, not coming to England? I guess not. Wow. Um, no, Maluma yeah. actually played in London on the Tuesday night that Man City played Shakhtar. Yeah. Uh, I see. Um, so he had to fly to Amsterdam for the Thursday night show. I hate it when that happens. And then he, yeah. he gets into a car accident on the way to the airport. Yeah. And, breaks his ribs um and cue the british press how I mean, that's a pretty that's a pretty <laughs> short flight but i mean was is there anybody that you would be like i'm flying from here to san francisco like the 45 minute flight to go mm-hmm. see because we're gonna miss them in la uh hmm i would probably like right now i'd probably go do that for brockhampton isn't Brockhampton from Inglewood? Couldn't you just like go to their house? No, because they they're, like this current tour of their own. They don't have any shows in LA. Oh, that's so unique. Yeah, it is. <laughs> okay, uh, we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to come back and talk a little bit about the situation in Barcelona. For most guys, shopping can be a total pain. Bombfell is an easier way for men to get better clothes. Bombfell is an online personal styling service that helps men find the right clothes for them. It's simple and straightforward. All you have to do is complete a questionnaire and a dedicated personal stylist will handpick pieces specifically for you. Then, once you've viewed your selections, you'll have 48 hours to make any changes or even cancel the order altogether. You're in total control and you only pay for the clothes you keep. Plus, you have the option of receiving clothes once every one, two, or three months. Because Bombfell is on your side, and they don't make money if you don't find something you want to keep. I had my own package of Bombfell clothing sent to my apartment the other day. It was great. Um, I had an entire new wardrobe, a pair of chinos, polo, nice flannel shirt, and it's all great quality. Um, and it all comes together, and you just tell the stylist what you want, what size you are, um, and they pick it out for you. You don't have to decide anything yourself, which is great. Best of all, we've negotiated with Bombfell to get our listeners a special offer of $25 off your first purchase when you go to bombfell.com slash FC. That's Bombfell, spelled B-O-M-B-F-E-L-L, dot com slash FC. Bombfell, open and close. Okay, guys, we are back. Uh, we're, we're, this is a different sort of subject than we usually tackle, but it, it's one that's obviously really important not only to like the FC Barcelona and La Liga and the football world, but to Europe, the Western world. Mm -hmm. And it's just one of the most fascinating news stories happening right now. And that's the ongoing kind of ever developing story in Barcelona about uh, Catalonian independence. There was a referendum. I believe it was on Sunday Mm -hmm. uh, that was really a 
you know, to, to give you the most broad strokes, was just actually a referendum that was more about democracy than it was about actual like secession from the Spanish state. There are people you can read about this topic that know a lot more than the three of us, but we did just want to talk about it a little more. But I recommend anybody, if, they, if they're curious about the interaction between Catalonia, Barcelona, Sp- Spain as a nation, you should read Sid Lowe uh, in The Guardian, who's always just a really reliable and fascinating read when it comes to Spanish football. Mm-hmm. But Ryan, talk a little bit about like what's going on there and wh- how this impacted Barcelona this week. Yeah, so basically the idea of Catalonian independence has been around for a really long time. Um, you know, stretching back to Francisco Franco, if not before that. Um, and so on Sunday, they sort of hold this vote and Spanish prime minister essentially says that it's illegal um, to even hold the vote. And police crack down on it. Hundreds of people get injured. Rubber bullets are used. Sort of just like seems like a very clear police overreaction. Um, And so Barcelona plays on Sunday. They don't want to play. A lot of disagreement among the board apparently about whether to play, not play, play. They don't want to play. They have PK Busquets. A couple other guys are like very sort of vocal voices about Catalonia independence. they don't want to play. The league says, no, you guys have to play. And uh, the president, uh, Bartomeu, decides that they're going to play. And he, they play. They win 3 nothing, But they play in, inside of an empty stadium, which was, like, just so eerie to see, seeing the, like, Mace Keun Club yeah. uh, painted chairs, you know, while they're playing. And there were there were stewards at the game still. Yeah. <clears throat> and I think people were watching like, from outside, right? Yeah. Um, stewards... Stewards were like just looking into the stands into empty seats. Um, so, and meanwhile, all this violence is happening outside. Yeah, and the so the president Bartomeu essentially tried to phrase what they did as an act of protest, playing in an empty stadium, even though it seemed like the team didn't actually want to play. Um, and if they didn't play, based on what the league was saying, they would have forfeit the game. So that's three points. Yeah, and then they three would nothing for whole difference, which actually would, does matter. And then you also have to you subtract, you lose three points for not showing up for a fixture, so it would have been six points. Yeah, um, Which essentially, I think, would have made up the difference between them and Madrid. Yeah. Real Madrid, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So that happens, and then the vice president um, and the director of Barca both resigned on Sunday. Yeah. Because they disagreed. So uh, as we're recording this now, um, Carlos Puigmont, uh, who is the one of the Catalonian leaders, said that uh, his government, this is from CNN, would unilaterally unilaterally declare independence, quote, by the end of this week or the beginning of next. Mm-hmm. This is huge. Uh, the La, La Liga has been pretty clear that if Barcelona is no longer part of Spain, they won't be playing in La Liga. Um, I don't know. I mean, political activity in this sort of – this is more of a tectonic shift than it is a mm-hmm. overnight decision. Uh, so you'd have to imagine that anything that would have a ramification – with this country, I mean, just like look at what happened with Brexit, right? Like it's yeah. taking a long time for this to actually go through. But um, I guess, Micah, one of the reasons why I wanted to talk about this a little bit was that for as much as we're like you guys used to play, we're all deeply invested in, in, in football. But football does have this extra element where these clubs uh, mean something to people beyond – they represent something more than just like the the crest on the shirt – or getting to watch, like, you know, Wayne Rooney kick a ball to somebody else on a weekend. It's like they're representations of community that I think that maybe in this era and the, the globalization of the game gets lost a little bit. Mm. But you see something like this happen, and it kind of brings that point home. Well, yeah, I mean, like, the difference between, I, I think, uh, soccer and, like, soccer clubs like Bar- like Barcelona, obviously, and different say with the anthem protests that are happening in uh, the NFL and the NBA mm-hmm. and whatever is that there is no illusion that politics and sports are anything but you know inextricably linked in mm-hmm. when you're thinking about this situation and yeah when you have you know working class people that go and sit in the rafters and it's just like that player is representing me out there on the field mm-hmm. is not uh, it's not really like the way that people seem to engage with sport. Uh, 
maybe college, but yeah. maybe you know, I, kind of college sports. And I think people also, once they leave colleges, still have like an investment with their college teams that are more profound than say, you know, it's like I love the Eagles, but like you know, guys come through the Eagles and leave the Eagles. I don't. Yeah, you're not supporting yeah. the Eagles because you're like a socialist. Yeah, you know? exactly. Yeah. And I'm it, and and there's not like three teams for me to like if I'm from London. And where, like, what neighborhood I'm from determines whether I'm a fan of Chelsea or QPR or Fulham or Brent, you know, Brentford. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, so it's, it's like there's a pretty profound difference there. But there's also that element of, um, I think, what you're talking. Another thing that, that goes to what you're saying is like the Barcelona fans actually own that team. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, there is obviously like a lot of money in Barcelona. They're one of the richest clubs. In professional sports around the world, but those those people own that team. They vote for the president. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like there's there's a dig- direct line between fan and club that we don't really get to experience. Yeah, I mean, like you don't. I I can't think of any anywhere else or anywhere where like a fan that goes to the game and sits in the stands can say that they are a part. Yeah, yeah, it's like it's, it's just in their yeah. blood. It's just yeah. like it's like other than like the Packers or something. Yeah, but the thing is, like, so you mentioned Sid Lowe, and he has this great quote from this writer Manuel Vasquez Montalban. He described, he wrote Barcelona is quote the symbolic unarmed army of Catalonia, right? Which is like that that doesn't exist here. And like the thing, like Catal- Barcelona always represented Catalonia, um, and Real Madrid has sort of rese- represented the center of Spain. Um, and back when Franco was in power, it was like Barcelona essentially represented the people that were anti-Franco's regime, and Real Madrid were sort of Franco's team. And yeah. like, it's not that still isn't that long ago. You know, that was mm-hmm. last century. Like, no. not not that long ago. Um, but what? And it's, I think it gets amplified because Barca, more so than any other team in the world, at least has a couple Barca players that have come up through Barcelona and have a very clear sense of Catalonian pride, mm-hmm. I guess. And PK, Gerard PK, Barcelona's captain, was literally crying after the game. Um and then at Spanish training um, had people heckling him. he was getting heckled. Yeah, he said he would quit the Spanish national team if it became a distraction. Yeah, yeah. And at the Real Madrid game on Sunday, in the twelfth minute, all of the fans broke out Spanish flags, which mm-hmm. like it's not that's not a coincidence that that's happening. I, uh, I'm trying to think of, we were talking a little bit about the American teams. It seems like American teams often take on these extra dimensions in the wake of a tragedy, in the wake of a yeah. catastrophe like the Saints and Katrina, mm-hmm. the Red Sox after the Boston Marathon bombing, yeah. the Yankees after 9-11. Mm-hmm. But you, re- you don't really see the club at the tip of the spear, you know? You don't yeah. really see the club being a uh, public theater for political dialogue necessarily the way. And you know what? A lot of people thought Barcelona lost their soul. Um, among them, yeah. many Barcelona fans yeah. who didn't approve of the of the sponsorship from Qatar. They didn't yeah. approve of uh, the way that the club is doing its business. There's been a a drying up of the usual replenishment of the team from yeah. La- where the players are coming from, from the academy. Yeah. You know, and but a lot of that gets directed at Bartomeu, and he's sort of the one seemingly dissenting voice in all of this, yeah. right? In Barcelona. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's it's uh, like Micah said that the whole idea of it is, I think, complicated a lot, or it doesn't get taught. It it's weird to me that this isn't a bigger story across the entire world. Yeah, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I think it is because it's the richest region of Spain, essentially trying to leave Spain. Yeah. Well, I definitely. I mean, it was it. people were fascinated by it when I was in London the day it was happening, and it does seem like it's we're just living in a time of these incredibly volcanic elect elect elections you know whether or not they're shocks to the system like brexit and and trump or whether or not they are warning signs like the afd rising in germany and uh Mm -hmm. merkel being sort of like her power base being weakened a little bit but i think the reason we wanted to talk about it was just it also signals that like a little bit out of touching distance like on the horizon you can kind of feel changes to the to the game globally coming and this Mm -hmm. is not i'm not trying to like take anything away from what's happening because like really what matters in Barcelona is that people are safe and that people feel like they're participating in a democracy right but it's interesting to think about this in the context of um, 
some of the television rights deals that have been talked about recently with the Premier League and this idea of maybe the teams that are the most popular need to get a bigger share of the pie than the lower teams, which would essentially change the shape of the Premier League. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. It would essentially consolidate a top six or seven teams mm-hmm. as earners, right. and everybody else would be you kind would of— be able to have clubs like Leicester buying 30 million— yeah. Pound players, right? Or, and we, you know, the trickle down ec- economics. Uh, it's always been a pretty fair distribution. The Premier League changed that a little bit, but this idea, I mean, it was sort of heartwarming to go to a QPR Fulham game. You know, people who own Shad Khan is not starving for money. I mean, he owns Fulham, but to see eighteen thousand people come out on a Friday night to support two teams that are never going to sniff Champions League at least in the next five years, probably. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And that they, it's still like this idea of a community team and being like, you know what? My dad liked QPR. I like QPR. Like it's like this thing that gets passed down that it's just interesting to think about this Barcelona stuff, the idea of Barcelona not being in La Liga anymore. I wonder if that brings back into the conversation a European Super League, which had been talked about a lot more a couple years ago, but could come back into into the conversation. It's just it's a fascinating time for not only the West, but for, for soccer. Yeah, I mean, it's you're now even seeing like maybe Barcelona is going to play in the Premier League. Like, that's a thing that's, like, being reported, and Arsene Wenger, I think, even, like, addressed the idea of it. Um, and it does, I mean, it. I think, for me, the the idea of a Super League is sort of the worst-kept secret in international or European soccer. Right. It's, it's eventually going to happen. It, it re- Just considering the way that, like, a capitalist global economy works, like, it seems like we're headed toward the richest teams consolidating their wealth and creating this league where all the best teams yeah, play. Yeah, you just imagine, have like six the, English teams, five Imagine Spanish the TV yeah. deals, the TV deal for that. Like I know, if, I mean, I, hate, I I don't like it, but I'm already like, just. I'm just like, where do you want me to sell yeah, my money? And then there's the other like, you know, if Barca leaves La Liga, it probably weakens Real Madrid because the what is Real Madrid playing itself? So is, are the TV rights in La Liga worth as much without Barcelona? Exactly. No. So. Exactly. Or do, do some of the people who play for Barcelona who have no personal investment in Catalonian independence stay in Barcelona? Yeah. Do exactly. they go to PSG? Do they go to Bayern Munich? Do they go to Manchester United? It's a lot to keep our eye on. We'll keep our eye on this and we'll bring it up a couple of times. We just wanted to talk a little bit. Any final thoughts on this? I mean... I mean, no. Like, it's... Like, like you were saying before, I mean, losing Barcelona or... or I mean... Having so many vocal supporters of Catalonian independence on the team and Barcelona, if you know they leave La Liga, that fundamentally changes the way that things work. I mean, because you can't have like things can't stay the same if Barcelona leaves La Liga. Exactly. I mean, exactly. All right, we'll be back next week to talk a little bit about the international break and see, tell you what we saw from World Cup qualifiers. Until then, for Micah Peters and Ryan Hanlon and Donnie Quack, I'm Chris Ryan. Mm-hmm.